0: Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. What do you want from your next government? We've got a couple of election wish lists included in this podcast. The Hearing Issues and Tinnitus Association talked to us about the five issues that top their wish list. Edgar Triay was in the studio. Who is going to lead the Spanish government for the next four years? Who will be in charge when the next Gibraltar government tries to get the UK EU treaty over the line? Our reporter Kevin Ruiz had an update on the attempts by the Partido Popular to become the next government of Spain. In other news, the producer of Gibraltar today, Kellyanne Borge, has a report on local volunteers in Morocco, helping with the relief effort after that devastating earthquake. She spoke to Ingrid Gano of the Strait of Gibraltar Association. And we were joined by Sergeant Dan Ruffle of the Royal Gibraltar Police to find out how they are policing scooter users. But we start with Unite the Union, who have put forward a-, a pamphlet with measures that they believe would benefit not just working people, but also employers, if adopted as policy by the teams contesting the election. I spoke to Unite the Union's Giovanni Barbara and to its chair, Christian, do? Gents, it's, uh, it's customary. You, you, you issue uh, at this time of the year, uh, at this time of the electoral cycle, uh, a wish list and, and, and you try and make the teams uh, who are contesting the election adopt as many of your policy measures as
1: possible.
2: Correct. Yes. Like you said, we have prepared a, a booklet, a progressive uh, wish list booklet, very glossy indeed. And uh, obviously, we have gone through it uh, with the three political parties, liberals, the GSLP and the GST, um, and it covers um, all sectors in the employment market in Gibraltar, so the benefits will cover all of them.
0: So let's pick out a few of the the talking points, Uh, a complete restructure of health and safety, uh, of the health and safety inspectorate, uh, and in particular you're looking at the construction industry as being uh, the the highest risk. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your ideas here.
3: Well if I may, it's basically Uh, a revamp of our existing structure. Uh, We are trying to propose uh, something which already exists in other European countries, which is uh, joining together enforcement and uh, the provision of information and guidance. Because as we all know, I mean, ignorance of the law is not an excuse, but giving information about laws, about how they apply to workplaces, and that would make the work of the of the factory inspector, the work of the private sector, public sector, issue in terms of safety, because they can also always have that consultative body who would also have an arm, which is will be a strong enforcement. That is what the Health and Safety committee, Advisory Committee is proposing in terms of, of driving the initiative uh, forward. Um, the Health and Safety Advisory Committee was formed maybe a year ago, uh, with, uh, this is within United Union? No, this is where, at, at, uh, at a local ah, community level, right. uh, Minister Linares was very oh, of strongly course. behind yes, that, yes, remember, if you remember. At the yeah. United Conference, no? Was, yeah, yeah, the yeah, United yeah. Conference last year is going to be here in, in October, and United Union has been pushing for the last six, seven years, uh, introducing a framework of safety management for the government of Gibraltar as a whole, and it's in two parts, and part of the change is that to develop uh, a new factory, inspectorate, stroke, uh, guidance, uh, equi- um, body. Okay. That is a, what we are proposing. Yeah. What happens, you know...
0: It's, yeah, yeah, this is what you're aiming for. This like, is our wish list. Yeah, yeah, and part and you're of our hoping wish list. That, uh, that it'll be adopted. How did those conversations
2: go, Christian, with uh, with the different uh, political parties? Were they generally receptive? They were receptive. O- o- obviously, they, they weren't committing in some of the points, especially some of them, which obviously has a... a, a a financial implication, but obviously we are pushing as hard as we can for, for them, especially those on the private sector, even though there are a lot of points that covers the public well, sector, uh, yeah. and the, even the Ministry of Defence, there are a number of points we were pushing for private, private sectors.
0: Uh, and I was just about to ask you, um, how do you go about uh, getting a political party to influence uh, um, and bring about the things that you're asking for in the private sector, better terms and conditions of employment,
2: better sick leave entitlement. How, how, what, what do you want the political parties to do? Well, we are highlighting the fact that many of them goes back 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. The reality is the days we are living today, especially after the COVID pandemic, many workers in the private sector has, has obviously gone in hardship, Simply because the conditions that uh, govern their employment have not been good enough, and we are calling for improvement in that and also, for example, one of the other points is injury benefit. We are calling for uh, provisions where the twenty eight weeks um, uh, uh, twenty eight weeks injury pay does not is not deducted from the, the employee's uh, sick leave entitlement uh,
0: another one that has been a significant talking point in recent weeks, which is on your uh, recent years. <clears throat> Excuse me, which is on your wish list is uh, the need for, in your words, a substantial update in laws regarding maternity and paternity leave for any couple, irrespective of sex. Um, How have your conversations gone there?
3: Well, uh, it's about updating the current laws and and, and driving forward towards uh, the private sector so they assimilate platforms of the the practices already carried out in the public sector It's yes. about uh, enhancing the the working conditions of people of uh, for them to be more equal being equality being applied more and diversity i mean the modern uh, type of family is different to the family we would have expressed 20 30 40 years ago we've got same sex ma- sure. families uh, shared uh, families uh, we need to update really yep. this is not consistent with the uh, with 2023.
0: The, the lives that we live in 2023. So uh, yeah, Obviously so you, different, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you, you, you're, you're saying uh, for any of the partners to be able to get shared parental yeah. leave if a person is pregnant, any of the partners, no? Yeah. If yeah. a person is pregnant using a surrogate to have yeah. a baby, adopting yeah. a child, fostering a child, yeah. or in the sad uh, circumstance where there is a stillbirth. Yes. Um,
2: and that even goes to the public sector as well. We need to modernise um, those conditions. That's a reality.
0: Okay, uh, Joint Trade Union Government Negotiating Forum. Why is this
2: important? Well, that's important because actually this year we we set up that forum. Uh, joint unions met with the government in terms of uh, um, pay negotiations for the public sector. So what we are calling on all, all political parties is for the continuation of that. And to be honest, both parties, uh, the um, GSLP Liberals and the GSD, have committed to continue that forum, which has proved very successful in terms of engagement with members across the public sector. Um, if, if we think of uh, the minimum wage continuing to go
0: up in recent years, uh, are, is there still a problem with low-paid
2: workers, or, or do you think that now the minimum wage is is sufficient? It, it's, it's not sufficient, uh, ex- especially with the current inflationary, inflationary situation that we find ourselves. The reality Many on low pay are finding it uh, are finding it hard uh, to to for, for the end of the month. So to find, um, the reality is, we want to do a twofold approach. I think we are being a bit conservative in terms of the minimum wage rise, but we are also calling for 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 to get together and discuss a living wage. We need to um, we need to engage with experts and find what a living wage in Gibraltar would would be like. Now. Um...
0: It's a, it's a significant uh, document. We're not going to be able to get through all of the points. Um, can I just ask you, um, Mr. Duo uh, and Mr. Barbara, I- in short, uh, to, to highlight anything else that we haven't covered yet and, and invite people to perhaps try and
2: read your document? It, it, I think just to get a, a piece, obviously uh, we are happy to share with anybody who's interested to have uh, our, our booklets. We haven't got a lot, but we are willing to share online, electronically. So anybody that uh, wishes to have a copy of it, which is quite extensive, but I would like to finish on a note on training and apprenticeship. Yeah. I think this is something that requires a lot of uh, buying from, from all political parties, and we require... We, don't know, we do not believe that the traditional trades that have always existed, there's no, no need for it anymore. We, we need to, to progress to an economy where we require less and less uh, cross-frontier labour, and we need to carry it out ourselves locally with locally residents. We believe that with training, uh, the government, whoever is in in, in office,
3: will need to look at a model where they can predict uh, the trends of employment in, say, two, three years' time from the moment they look at it, because really what we... training takes time. And the time you are investing in those people needs to reflect the end product by the time they finish the training. So we need to train people who are going to be in employment. We need to offer training that leads to employment. Sure. It's the only way that people really are interested in it. So if for whatever reason we look at this uh, predictive model and we see that we need to train, apart from the traditional trades which must be maintained, we we see that we need a catering school or we need uh, some other model or of, of, of type of training which we need in Gibraltar and we are importing that skill from afar. That is basically what uh, we believe needs to take place. We need to have a a system within the the government employment board or or whatever ministry encompasses that, that has a predictive model that looks at what training we require by the time those people finish the training. Um, Giovanni,
0: Barbara and Christian Duo, thank you for joining us. We're out of time, but I just wanted to ask you, Mr Duo, uh, in short, is Unite the Union expecting to back... A, poli-
2: a, a, a political party at this election? I confirm and we've confirmed in previous elections that Unite as an independent union will not back. We are not going to commit the errors of the past and that is something from the past. Unite will not back any political parties but will uh, lobby as much as possible for the implementations of many of uh, uh, our, our points in, the, in the, our manifesto wish list. For sure.
0: Okay, Mr. Duo and Mr. Barbada, thank you for joining us on behalf of Unite the Union. Um, this is Gibraltar. Today we're going to stay with the election and with election wish lists. And the Hearing Issues and Tinnitus Association has five issues that top its election wish list. Edgar Triay is here to tell us about them. Good afternoon to you, Mr. Triay. Uh, let's start off with um, British Sign Language. Y- you want access for... Uh, deaf people in everyday living situations to government-funded British sign language. Uh, and perhaps you can give us an example of where it would be particularly valuable.
4: Well, first of all, I would like to say good afternoon to everyone and uh, all the listeners. Um, at the moment, this current administration has done a lot in, to introduce si- uh, British sign language in Gibraltar. Uh, previously, there was done, but... There's still a lot of work to be done. And a deaf user, a deaf BSL user at the moment, have access to government services, whether through either an in-person interpreter or through uh, an application, they can have remote access to an interpreter and they can have access to the services. But if they want to uh, approach a, a business or or any other type of service, they, you know, they basically have to conv- convince the business, which they have difficulty because they cannot communicate, for, for them to pay for the, for the interpreting services, or ultimately they have to pay themselves the, the Interpretent Services. And, and the
0: basic position is that they should be able to access uh, the, the the public services in the same way or with, without further barriers uh, as compared to somebody who doesn't have
4: hearing issues. Exactly. You know, if we are moving towards a society that is equal opportunity and equal rights and we want to enforce the existing laws, you know, call it the, the, the Equality Act and the Disability Act, obviously the The reason why it's not happening is because there's no funding available to them.
0: Sure. Uh, In respect of uh, other measures that um, would inevitably, um, you know, require investment, you want the next administration to establish a tinnitus clinic and you also want them to provide free hearing aid batteries for uh, people using GHA-issued devices in their ears.
4: Yeah, that that follow, follows follows uh, like in the pattern. Like in the UK, all NHS hearing aids uh, will have will be the, the patients will be issued free hearing aid batteries. Batteries will will cost an individual. Uh, depends where they purchase it, but on average, if they have two hearing aids, one on each ear, about ninety to hundred pounds a year will cost the the person.
0: Yeah, that's a significant cost. Mm. Indeed, not insignificant,
4: and and the seriously pain to, to hear people.
0: <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. Just just to get on a, on a, on yeah. a at a place where, where people who don't have hearing issues are already. You know.
4: And our journey since we got established, uh, Tinnitus has been the, the Cinderella of, of, of the health service, and we still have problems of getting a a proper multidisciplinary. Uh, coordinated approach towards the dealing with uh, patients with tinnitus uh, we've got ourselves a a whatsapp group that we try to uh, f- fill up the the void in, in giving support but it seriously needs to be revisited and 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 funded
0: there's 32 points um in your wish list um, we're going to talk about one or two others uh, but can i ask you first if somebody's listening can they
4: access this online Yes, indeed. we got a, fa- a Facebook group in the, the Gibraltar Hearing Issues and Teenage Association and BSL Club. They are welcome to, to join us and they will have access there. And, um, and ob- obviously, if they wish to, for us to send them a, a, do- a document, they can write an email requesting it at info at
0: OK, uh, so uh, I'll ask you one more question if I can, Mr. Triay. Um, Gita, the Hearing Issues and Tinnitus Association, is calling for the employment of a second audiologist and also for, the, for rehabilitation officers for hearing loss. So this would be um, uh, more staff at the GHA with uh, hearing specia- specialisms.
4: Indeed. If we want to comply with the, the World Health Organization's recommendations... That were um, listed in the World Hearing Report of 2021. The audiology services requires a, a second audiologist not only to guarantee continuity of service, but also to offer outreach screening programs to make to ensure that from the from birth to the elderly, they are, they are covered and supported throughout their life. And w- also, our feedback that we get is that when people are introduced. To hearing aids, that they tend to give up because they are not used to hearing again. Sure. So, the rehabilitation officers will be there to assist them in their journey and also uh, recommend hearing assisted equipment available in the market.
1: On Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott.
0: Who's going to lead Spain uh, after a a rather inconclusive election? We still don't have an answer. Uh, The Partido Popular is trying to form government. Kevin Ruiz has been following what are complicated proceedings and you're going to try and make it simple for us, Kevin.
5: Yes, uh, afternoon, Jonathan. ¿Cómo está el patio (laughs) y cómo está el patio del vecino? Because it's high drama in the Spanish Parliament. um, FIT for an adaptation, a Spanish adaptation of The West Wing, because huh? all the ingredients, drama ingredients, are there. We saw the investiture ceremony um, take place. Um, that um, two-day event, um, where Feijó, uh, the leader of the Partido Popular, gave us an almost two-hour speech, where he was trying to convince the majority of the 350-seat parliament in Spain um, to back him in the uh, in the in the vote. For him to become the next uh, leader of the Spanish government, um, it was being termed the fake investiture, investidura fake. Um, e- weeks before it even took place, people saw the difficulty of uh, the Pepe trying to secure those votes. Um, but because they had the most votes at the
0: election, they they were given the first. That is why they were given attempt. the first
5: dibs. They've got two attempts, two bites at the cherry. We saw the first one happen um, yesterday. That vote. Fehor secured um, 172 votes in his favour, 178 against. He needed an absolute majority from that 350-seat parliament. Um, he failed, as was predicted by many, um, observing by the m- many analysts. Um, he gets a second chance on Friday when proceedings will move swifter. Um, he'll have a 10-minute slot uh, in which he can... Try to convince the parliament to back him in being the next uh, presidente del gobierno. Um, Everybody has a shorter replica, so shorter slots tomorrow. Voting will take place tomorrow, but the bar will be lowered. Um, Instead of an absolute majority, tomorrow um, Alberto Feijó will require a simple majority, meaning that he needs more yeses than nos. Now, commentators and um, analysts are again predicting uh, a failure uh, to secure those numbers on on, on the part of Feijó. Um, he fell four sheet, four, four votes uh, short of what he needed, um, but tomorrow it's predicted Feijó will once again fail to secure that majority, which will... It, it
0: seems like a, a small margin, just four votes, but no se mueve la gente.
5: Exactly. I mean, they're very set. Um, of course, the beppe secured 137 seats but they secured a, a bulk from Vox, 33 seats, which is what has angered uh, many in the Spanish Parliament or, or, or pitted many against uh, the Pepe and Feijó. Um, and he's got the backing of two smaller parties, Canarias and Navarra. Um, tomorrow he'll need to convince that ex, those extra uh, people to vote for him, um, but also in wanting to push through what has been termed the fake investidura, he's also given uh, Pedro Sánchez an opportunity and weeks of, um of uh of uh he's granted him the occasion the, the 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 opportunity of allowing sanchez to continue negotiations in the background um we know he's been talking to the pro-independence catalan parties he's got uh they they're, they're backing to a degree he's navigating that difficulty um which is the amnesty petition that that request from the catalan parties but we all know a negotiation starts up here and you always ask for more than what you're expecting to get So It might settle for less. Exactly, that's what we're expecting. So the long and the short of
0: it, Kev, is that uh, uh, the Partido Popular has another attempt to try and form government. The likelihood is that they won't be able to, and and then Pedro Sanchez has a go.
5: that's where it's all triggered once again. We're expecting the king to then put forward uh, Pedro Sanchez as a candidate um, who would be able to form government. Pedro Sanchez will again have to secure those numbers. He'll get like two weeks, and the whole process starts again
0: superb, thank you so much Kevin, you're following this closely and I'm sure you'll bring us developments as they happen
5: (laughs) y el guion para la serie
1: Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott
0: I'm sure that you've been following the story um, of the earthquake that struck Morocco earlier this month a real tragic event which has um, uprooted the lives of so many thousands of people, injured many thousands and Uh, sadly claimed the lives um, of thousands as well. Yesterday we tried to speak to Ingrid Gano, who is volunteering there in Morocco, uh, on behalf of the Strait of Gibraltar Association. Uh, She's a trustee, a joint relief mission is underway in the wake of the devastating earthquake. And uh, due to Ingrid's poor phone signal in the Atlas Mountains, uh, we couldn't connect to her live on the show and rather than try again, we just, uh, we spoke to her and uh, Kellyanne Borge has prepared this report for us.
6: Weeks on from the 6.8 magnitude earthquake which struck Morocco's high Atlas Mountains and humanitarian needs are great with many people experiencing psychological distress.
2: <laughs>
6: with 3,000 killed and over 300,000 people affected, the catastrophe made international news. main
5: story is Earthquake, which
2: has hit it central happened Morocco. late at night
3: when most people were asleep. The
0: no Gibraltar
2: warning.
3: Red Cross has
0: launched an appeal, and with the rescue workers in a desperate race against time as they continue to
7: search for survivors.
6: Tremors are still being felt with daily landslides and rockfalls. The landscape is changing constantly.
7: As we drew closer to the epicenter, we saw cars completely flattened, buildings completely collapsed, entire villages completely ruined, pero todo, post office, escuelas, hospitales, pol- eh, police stations, ahí no quedó nada. Y fue muy fuerte. Y aunque no hicieron briefing, en lo que íbamos a ver, no, no estábamos, per- we weren't prepared to witness such a level of destruction. Es que in many places there was nothing left. Ya lo único que se ve son los lotes, Todo alrededor de los sitios que se han eh, colapsado, porque las personas no quieren dejar sus casitas. Están ahí, eh, uf, todavía están sacando cosas. Ellos se meten por boquetito pa pa sacar sus cositas, sus ropitas, sus memories. Uf, de verdad, de verdad, muy fuerte, muy fuerte.
6: Ingrid Gano is on the relief mission on behalf of the Strait of Gibraltar Association Trust, reaching out to help those most in
7: need in the mountains. Han estado integrados en entre las víctimas y las mismas víctimas le dicen a dónde están los disabled y los injured, que no se pueden mover. Y han ido enseguida, and they have provided first aid. Y también han estado devolviendo a muchos de los disabled y los injured de vuelta a casa en las montañas. Y menos más, y thanks to Jeep Extreme 4x4 Club y los expert drivers, Fabian Pereira, Adam Bradley, Kevin Parodi, y también gracias a los coches de Basadón y los 4x4 Toyota, Nuestro equipo ha podido acceder a estos terrenos tan dificultosos. Sin estos vehículos y los drivers hubiera sido imposible de llegar a estos sitios. Y cuando han llegado, they have been devastated to find that whole families have died and the homes crumbled. Mira, members del team de Caring for Gibraltar, hay que mencionarlo por favor: Jane Wing, Charlie Bishop, Sonia Fortuna y Leila Babette, que han provi- ha hecho providing un comfort. Emotional support barriers
6: Funds are being used for translators, fuel for the 4x4 vehicles needed for the mountains and everyday essentials. The association is appealing
7: for support from the Gibraltar community. Con que yo sé que Libertad es muy generoso, que Libertad ha hecho mucho supporting, pero que sigan, por favor, que sigan con los donations, los donations, los monetary donations, que es muy importante.
0: The voice of Ingrid Gano speaking to the producer of Gibraltar Today, Kellyanne Borge, about the joint relief effort uh, that is being carried out. Um, NGOs uh, from all over the world, I think, including Gibraltar, uh, assisting with the government of Morocco and and also teams sent by other governments, including uh, the Spanish government, um, to to just provide the incredible. Uh, and and difficult uh, support that's needed uh, in the coming weeks, days, weeks and months. Uh, And uh, we were hearing about the efforts on behalf of the Strait of Gibraltar Association. Uh, And as Ingrid said, they need your support. Uh, So look them up on Facebook if you'd like to donate to the Strait of Gibraltar Association's relief effort uh, in and close to Marrakesh.
1: Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott
0: the electric scooters have been a talking point in recent months they are a fairly new phenomenon uh, and there's so many of them that we're just beginning to establish habits. And, of course, uh, there are inevitably going to be people who use them incorrectly, and when they do, the Royal Gibraltar Police uh, will be enforcing Gibraltar law. Uh, And here to tell us a little bit about uh, the law and how it's been enforced is Sergeant Dan Ruffle of the Royal Gibraltar Police. Good afternoon, Sergeant uh, Ruffle. Uh, Tell us a little bit, then, how big an issue or, 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 you know, how much effort has the Royal Gibraltar Police had to invest in trying to make sure that um, what we call personal light electric transport devices, uh, e-scooters, that they're being used properly?
1: Thank you, Jonathan. bit of a mouthful, but um, as you said, PLETS or the e-scooters. We have uh, obviously had a bit of a, a, a... a, a very large mountain to climb in relation to this um up until probably about 18 months two years ago e-scooters were probably very expensive they were quite a relatively new sort of technology and now they've become available for the masses um due to that and the affordability we've seen a massive increase um, obviously in Gibraltar of the e-scooters um we have to look at it as a positive because what we have to remember is we have a, a rock of approximately 34,000, 35,000 people now, plus 15,000, 20,000 people coming over the frontier every day. And up until probably 10 months, 12 months ago, the majority of those people would use uh, mopeds, uh, predominantly the two strokes, and the pollution and the parking issues was phenomenal. Um, people have now got onto the e-scooters and we saw a massive influx, as you quite, quite rightly said. The issue was, was they were unregulated when they first came through. And I know the majority of people had a, a large headache with them. But we've now been given the regulations to be able to deal with it. So the first thing that my department did was uh, it's education rather than prosecution, because obviously you've got to know the law before you can prosecute. So we spent a good two weeks up at the Frontier. Stopping all the e scooters, the the influx from Spain um, into Gibraltar, because probably the majority of uh, e scooters, and, and that's what
0: several thousand e scooters uh, a
1: day. I would say probably more than that as well. To be uh, honest yeah, with because you. there's
0: ten to fifteen thousand cross frontier workers crossing every day. I think fifteen is the, is the, is the latest figure. No? Absolutely, and, and a lot of them will come.
1: I would say fifty percent of them are using some sort of e scooter, wow. probably um, you know ingress into into Gibraltar. Um, So over those two weeks, we gave the education because, as you quite rightly said, the majority of e-scooters within Gibraltar, probably the users are cross-frontier workers. Um, After that, um, we then started obviously issuing the tickets. Um, We have been given legislation that is um, a very large amount of legislation to deal with them. But what we tend to do is concentrate on the big four, uh, which is wearing the helmets. Um, They have to be limited to 25 kilometres an hour. Uh, they've got to have lights on them uh, within the hours of darkness, so the hours of um, sort of uh, sunset, sunrise, like car riders, drivers, and also um, no riding on the pavements. They have to adhere to all the Road Traffic Act regulations, as you would do in a car. So, my team predominantly obviously look at those four to enforce. And we've, we've been given the obviously TFPNs, the Traffic Fixed Penalty Notices, to deal with them. Um, and they are a £300 fine that they carry with those.
0: So, has the Royal Gibraltar Police. Needed to have Spanish speakers among the teams enforcing this because there are so many um, cross-frontier workers whose first language is Spanish.
1: That's correct, but you've also got to remember we also have a lot of um, non-Spanish. Obviously, living within Spain, you've got the English uh, from the gaming companies that live over there, um, the bilinguals and trilinguals that that speak numerous languages. But as a department, I'm very lucky. I have um, six officers that have been within the department a very long time. They are very local and they are bilingual in language. So for us to enforce the law, it's a lot easier.
0: So, okay, uh, and and we, we have heard, um, you know, sort of uh, earlier this month, for example, a nine, uh, last week, a nine-year-old child taken to hospital with head trauma and a broken arm after being run over by an e-scooter travelling wrong way up Willis's Road. Um, we've seen the police uh, issue £300 fines. Uh, we've seen you Uh, Arrest, uh, a a man, uh, sorry, not just arrest, a man has been convicted this month, uh, having been caught driving one of the rental e-scooters while drunk. So so it's not just the education, you've also now started... Enforcement. enforcement
1: but you've got to remember jonathan it's the minority not the majority you've already said that we've got fifteen thousand people crossing over so if you take a very small proportion it's the minority that offend um we've had three arrests now in relation to e-scooter drink drives and in relation to um the new initiative that's been put in with the rental scooters the company that operates those is now working very along uh, very closely alongside my department. Um, to obviously establish it, make it work, and make sure that people that ride them adhere to the Road, road Traffic Act.
0: What would you say to somebody? Because I've seen it sort of um, said sometimes. I am not saying that it's fair, but what would you say to somebody who who thinks that I- enforcement is primarily for people living in Gibraltar and that you can't, you don't have the same weight with foreign nationals?
1: You see, that's that's where the the public are, are slightly wrong. We actually enforce it um, as strongly for the locals as well as non-locals um what is happening now is that um the majority of those cross workers they will get the 300 pound fines if they live within the Camp of gibraltar uh, which is a very large area as we know and it's the majority of the e-scooter users and what we have now um for the traffic offenses for the mechanically propelled vehicles and cars etc the non-e-scooters is we have the new point system that's been put into place um, so with the new point system um, we are generating what we call ghost licenses for foreign drivers. These ghost licenses are: if you're driving on any other sort of country driving license, a Spanish driving license, let's say, you come into Gibraltar and you commit an offence, you have to provide your details to be able to have that um, offence dealt with, which is your home address and your place and business of work over here, and you have the a set amount of points put onto your license, either between two or four, depending on the offence you've committed. Once they have total up over seven points, they will become disqualified from driving within Gibraltar they are treated as a learner licence with their ghost licence they are notified of that, and therefore they become disqualified from driving within Gibraltar. And We've actually had a Spanish national now that has totted up those points and is now disqualified from driving within Gibraltar. So we deal with both sides very fairly. I feel
0: so. so it doesn't have an impact on that individual's ability to uh, drive in Spain, but then, which is outside of your jurisdiction, absolutely. But you can't. Uh, that that individual will not be
1: able to drive legally in Gibraltar. Absolutely, and because of the details that they provide, we are aware of the disqualified drivers, and we can keep an eye out for them and if they are Committing the offence of disqualified driving whilst within Gibraltar, they will be arrested for that offence. This is an arrestable offence that they will end end up in court. Sure, over.
0: okay, and and in short, just to to wrap up your your message to um, our listeners uh, who um, might be travelling on Gibraltar's roads, not necessarily themselves, e-scooter users, or, or maybe they are. Uh, what would your main
1: message be on on this topic? It's to ad- adhere to the Road Traffic Act. It's as simple as that. The the laws, the rules, and the lo- legislations are there for a reason. It is the safety of yourself as a plet, a cyclist or a, um, a car driver um, and patience. I think a lot of it is to do with impatience as well.
6: Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kellyanne Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2 getting behind the headlines and you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time
4: have a good one.
1: GBC Podcasts Local voices
4: on demand.